Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Let's pray. Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, living God, you who are seeking us, you who made the world in love and love all that you have made. God of the cross, our God who has shown us your heart, shown us your being alert, aware, fully of all the brokenness in the world and in us, and in response, have gone to the cross for us, for our world. In this, we know your goodness, your grace, your heart. As we turn to your word together and listen for your voice in these days and in this moment, we ask God that you would speak among us with our kids around the building, with our apex who just run out the door, For us right here, we want to be a people who listen for your voice and follow your grace. So come lead us now. Amen. Um, As some of you know, I'm a musical person, um, always have been uh, part of my family growing up and what my parents brought to my brother and I. The weird thing about me is that I don't listen to a lot of music. Um, I can't really. It's probably partly my like learning style slash brain challenges. Um, I find it really um, overwhelming to have just stuff in the background all the time. So even though I love music, my house is not always full of music. Um, I, unless I can give my whole attention to it, I just totally zone it out so it feels like it's useless to have on or it's just really like cluttery. Um, and so I'm not, which means I always need other people to introduce me to artists, to new people, to new writers, to new songwriters and performers. Even with a Spotify account, I typically only lean into a new artist if Curtis sends me an email or a text or other friends or Janet uh, through The Collected um, or, or my brother gives me a recommendation. And one introduction I'll always be thankful for is my brother introducing me to the work of Lance Odegaard. Um, I think it was Christmas 2006, about 17 years ago. I think you can go to the next slide, it has it there, yeah. Yeah, so album came out 2005. My brother gave me this CD. Yes, CD. My brother is a music producer, recording engineer, multi-instrumentalist, really. He's got, he's got it all and can play it all. And uh, so he had actually recorded this album for Lance, um, played on it, and in the process became good friends with Lance and thought I'd like Lance on this album, and he was so right. It's one of those albums that you love from the very first listen that for me made me stop things and listen and then grew on me with every passing subsequent listen um, and has stayed with me down through the years. 
Um, and back in the days before, the shuffle feature of streaming platforms, um, and partly because I mostly only listen to music when I'm driving the car, and typically over the years we've lived kind of short distance to where I've worked and done life, I rarely get to the end of an album. I'm like a first five song sort of guy. <laughs> Um, and so I would learn the first five songs so well. Like the key would get locked in, I could hit it right away, every nuance and movement of it. But it took that rare long drive, maybe a road trip to Mount Baker or something where I'd actually work through the album and inevitably I'd come across songs I'd never heard before. And sometimes I'd even wonder if I had found a hidden track. But it was just that I'd never actually listened all the way through. So anyways, one day, uh, months into listening to this album, I actually made it to the last track, the title track, Renovation. And I had one of those moments, one of those moments where you are listening to someone and it feels like they have been reading your journal, that they've been listening to your inner heart's deepest prayers. And they are describing you they are giving words to what you have needed to pray but didn't know how to pray. And I listened to that song over and over and over. And when I got to my destination, I stayed in my car for a long time just listening to this song. I listened to it for days and for weeks and now years. Because it was a prayer I needed to pray that I've been waiting to pray and that I've needed to pray again and again since. So. We are going to pause and we're going to listen to this song together. I hope it works. Yes. If my life is like a house, then Lord, you are in. Sat around this kitchen table Sharing stories and dinner You unsettle all the small talk With your request to see more rooms and floors And I am fighting select of honesty and the urge to clean before I open those doors. So Jesus, have your way here in this place. Open all the curtains and let in the day sweep out the hallways. Look underneath the rugs and start the let your kingdom come As we climb up the stairway I wonder if I'm ready It's more than hard to give away What you spent your life collecting You reveal 
My treasures as trinkets When compared to the pearl of great price And I am learning your ways of appraisal And how to house this eternal kind of life So Jesus have your way Jesus have your way here in this place open all the curtains and let in the day sweep out the hallways look underneath the rugs and start the renovation and let your kingdom I gotta say, I love how I feel like I can hear little bits of my brother in there uh, playing some of the parts. But more than anything, uh, I love, I've been so thankful for this song and how it has given language to my heart so many points over the years. It felt like when I first heard it, and again and again, a prayer that I needed to pray, have needed to pray, need to pray, that Jesus was inviting me to pray. One of the reasons it resonated so deeply for me in that season, 2006, is something that feels very real today to say that there had been, for me, a number of fresh, sad reminders that it is so easy to only be a Christian on the surface or on the outside. It's too easy, it's too common to just be someone who does the right Christian things on the outside, who has, to quote Paul in 2 Timothy 3, a form of godliness, and yet he was still deeply unconverted, acutely unredeemed on the inside, which can spill out at times too, but even if it doesn't, it kills your soul. Sadly, this again has been one of those years where many of us have heard way too many stories of people who have walked away, given up, or Christian leaders, uh, pastors of notable churches whose ministry overnight, decades of serving and leading, overnight is done, they disappear, come to a humiliating end because of some after hours infidelity or even on the job. People I'd ex- I would never have expected it from, people that I have admired, People that on the outside seem to have it figured out, be living it, sharing it, teaching others, mentoring others. Some that I've known personally over the years, uh, pastors that 
Not too long before, I was praying with them in some regional gathering, and then the next month I'd heard they had abandoned the church and their family to run off with someone else's wife or book a massage that wasn't a massage. How does that happen? But it's not just what happens, something happens to pastors, and it's not just about unchecked lust. It happens among us, in us. I've been a Christian long enough. I'm 45 been a pastor long enough, this is my 20th year, to have sat with so many ordinary Christian women and men who on the outside seem to have things together and yet inside, underneath, hidden away their lives, maybe two or three years into the faith or maybe 20 or 30 or 40 years into the faith are quietly marked by destructive desires, unresolved angers, debilitating unforgiveness, self-indulgence, deep shame, critical spirit, ingratitude, unaddressed habits, whatever it is, that continually steer them away from the goodness and the grace of God and on and on. And the result can be wreckage, subtly, or not so subtly, but it can also simply bring a quiet withering of one's soul, a quiet withering of one's faith and hope and love. And it's not just the stories of others that at times cause me to sing this song, but it's my own stories. Moments more often than I want to admit where I have been afraid of what I have found inside of me. Where I have caught sight of, but more than sight of, felt the grip of sin and its habits and its ways deep in my own heart and daily living in my actions and motives and relationships and responses. And I find myself asking that night or the next day, how, how, what's going on, why? After all these years, how is it that my thoughts and heart and desires and responses can still so easily be deeply out of sync with Jesus if not completely at odds with him? And in those moments, I am reminded how perilous it is to only let Jesus go so deep. In the midst of the heartbreak of hearing yet another story of sin, I always find myself thanking God for how God uses these stories to reveal and remind me how much I, day after day, again and again, desperately need Jesus desperately need Jesus by his spirit to continually invade and expose and confront and counsel and transform every part of my being, every facet of my heart and will and mind and emotions, how much I need to continue to be saved. And it puts me on my knees again, praying fervently, desperately that God's grace, by God's grace, I would stay on my knees and not come to some place where I stand up and I've got enough things going and we're good. But I would live on my knees before the God who alone can make me holy. That I wouldn't end up just another story of a fallen Christian man, pastor, husband, father, um, brother. And the words of this song stir up in my soul. Jesus, have your way. Jesus, have your way here in this place, in me. Open all the curtains and let in the day. Sweep out the hallways, look underneath the rugs. Start the renovation. Let your kingdom come.
Time and again, that song, that prayer, I've come back to it, inviting God, hearing God's invitation, and saying back, yes, please, yes, please. Because for all the ways I'm baffled by the stories of another fallen Christian leader, whoever it is, I know exactly how it happens. We all do. Because there are parts of us, every one of us, that have yet to be redeemed and transformed by Christ. Parts of our hearts that if left unchecked, untouched by Christ, could easily lead us into staggering places. And yet how often we content ourselves with a form of godliness. So often we're uns- we are somehow sleepily satisfied with unredeemed hearts. And thankfully in the kindness of God, Jesus not only knows this and gets this, but he constantly in the gospels addresses this as does the whole of scripture. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter seven. Matthew, Mark. I'm using my bigger font Bible. Hate to say it, but I am 45. And my glasses are not as progressive as they should be. (laughs) Mark 7, 1 to 23. It's worth noting that in the dominant religious culture of Jesus' day, godliness, holiness, righteousness, whatever you want to call it, was often perceived primarily as a matter of keeping the rules, doing the stuff, following the tradition of the elders, If you did these certain things and not those certain things, you were considered holy, godly, righteous. You were viewed as right with God. If you were at Lambrick, you'd be asked to lead community prayer. That's how it works, right? You see someone, they lead a prayer at something, you think, oh, they know Jesus without actually knowing them. That isn't, sorry, that isn't to critique those who do community prayer. (laughs) But how easily we make quick assessments, hey? And in Jesus' day, this was the case. Holiness was primarily associated with observing ceremonial hand washings, abstaining from certain foods, giving a tenth of what you had, keeping the Sabbath. As long as you could manage the prescribed list of do's and don'ts, notably all external actions, you were considered holy. You were a marriageable partner for someone looking. You were the ideal candidate to give the announcement at the next synagogue gathering. Which sounds absurd, but we often evaluate holiness in similar ways, I think. We often make these quick surface assessments of people. If you are going to church, you're doing a devotional or maybe listening to a Lectio podcast, part of a deeply formed life group, hope you are, you're giving your tithe or at least something, maybe serving in some way, then you're obviously godly. You're obviously in. You're obviously a mentor and a model to others. Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe you're just religious. As William Barclay, the late biblical scholar, wrote, religion takes account of one's outward religious actions, but it takes no account at all of the reality of one's heart. You may be meticulously serving God in outward things and bluntly disobeying God in the depths of your being. As the Apostle Paul says, I said it before, 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, many have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Or as the message translates it, they'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. 
It hasn't pierced their hearts. They're willing to abandon, to adopt a few holy habits, going to church, doing devotions, maybe listening to a Christian podcast here and there, but they're unwilling to abandon their lives to Christ and truly follow him in the pursuit and the way of sanctification. And so we come to Mark 7, into a world that describes holiness in this way. I'll read it for us. Oh, that's such a good size font. I love that. Sorry, I apologize. Getting used to it. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Jump to verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd and said to him and said, listen to me. Everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he said. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Verse 20, he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that Jesus, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, obviously, part of what Jesus is on about in this scene is to expose the worthlessness of religious actions that have nothing to do with the reality of one's heart, and maybe especially religious actions that are a foil for what is going on in the heart. And if we're honest, this is something that I suspect many of us resonate with a fair amount. Many of us maybe who've grown up in the church or in religious environments or homes at some point said, this is just external stuff. This is just religion. Tired of it. Tried it. Um, it's not working. Ooh, it's excitement. <laughs> and I sought to break free of it, of everything that smacks of just going through the motions because Jesus, even, even Jesus seems to call it worthless. But the question still needs to be asked, are our hearts still fundamentally unchanged? Whether those who are redoing the prescribed religious actions, or those who've left them behind because they're worthless and meaningless. Are our hearts still fundamentally unchanged? 
Has our attempt to leave behind empty forms of religion still left us essentially unchanged in the core of our being? Because if so, Jesus' words usually apply to us. They apply to all of us. Now, it'd be easy to hear these words, and maybe you do right now, as, whoa, heavy, bad news. But it's not. It's just the opposite. Because Jesus' aim in this moment wasn't primarily to condemn the Pharisees or you. But his aim was to expose the truth of their hearts and ours, to name our desperate need to be saved, and to invite us to let the gospel of Jesus have its way in us, in the whole of us. There's a similar passage, it's not going to be on the screen, but um, in Matthew 23, Jesus, in a list of woes, he's re- um, quoted as having said something very similar to what he says in Mark uh, 7, Matthew 23, verse 25, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside the cup is full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Notice in here, Jesus, in neither of these passages does he describe how to do it. You might hear that and go, I'd like that, but I can't. And that's Jesus' point. He is seeking to reveal to us the reality of the inside of our cup, to name our desperate need to be saved, and to invite us to seek him for what only he can do. Whenever I read, come to study a passage of scripture, I always am asking, how is the gospel revealed in this? What Where is the good news in this? And whenever I come back to Mark 7 or Jesus' words in Matthew 23, I'm reminded, confronted, and encouraged by the good news that the gospel goes deep, as deep as we ever need it to go. That Jesus is not content. We might be content. But Jesus is not content to merely rearrange the furniture on the deck of our capsizing lives. But he loves us enough to invite himself in, as the song says, to invite himself down, up, and to the rest of the house where the real mess is hidden, that he might not stand there and condemn us, but go there and clean it with us. This is the invitation of Jesus to all of us because this is the desire of God for all of us. And when I say all of us, I mean every part of all of us. This is what God wants for us, that we would be renewed, transformed, renovated, redeemed, made alive by the grace of God in the depths of our being, every part of our being, that Christ would be formed in you, Paul says in Galatians 4.19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, Paul says, Paul prays in Ephesians 3.19, which is from start to finish what grace is all about. I know I've said this before, but I will say it again and again because I need to hear it, and I think you do too, that too often our understanding of grace is grossly unbiblical. Too often when we talk about grace, all we're talking about is acceptance, tolerance, leaving things unaddressed. It's okay, there's grace. But is that what grace is? Honestly, if grace, if all grace means is unconditional acceptance, but leaving us as we are, 
still in real bondage to pride, to lust, to greed, to self-indulgence, to indifference, is it really grace? I think Jesus would say it's not his grace. Yes, grace takes us as we are, but it does more than that. Jesus, full of grace and truth, does more than that, and thank God he does. In grace, he seeks our redemption. In grace, he says to us, not simply, I have died for you. Receive, believe in me, and do your best. I'll see you at the end when I'll fix things. No, he says to you, to every one of us, come, follow me. Not just believe in me and receive my benefits at the end and I hope you make them improve this mess. (laughs) But come follow me. Come be with me that you might learn from me to live in me. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make, Jesus will do something that will renew who you are how you live. Hear the announcement of the saving grace of Jesus in almost the last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 21, verse 5, the one who sits on the throne, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. Everything new, depending on your translation. Behold, I am making all things new. Not friends, Get all your stuff together for my glory. No, Jesus says to you and to me, behold, I am making all things new, including in you as you seek and follow me. Like many of you, I have been at this long enough to know that there are some things I can address in my life to a a degree. (laughs) That there are things, especially on the outside and the practices of my life that I can address, change, disciplines I can learn, habits I can cultivate. But when it comes down to the sin that resides in my heart, and when the Bible uses the language of heart, it's referring to the control center of your being, the control center of your daily living. At that level, I know I need a savior. I need someone or something to enter in that is not corrupt, but that will come and make me new. It's what Jesus has come for. He says, Matthew, in Luke 19, verse 10, we are told Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and save the lost. And in that, we need to hear him saying, he's come to seek and save the lost in you and in me. Right? If we're thinking about Jesus, if we use thinking of this as metaphor language of Jesus going after sheep and getting them back into his pen, but they're riddled with disease. They're riddled with infection. They are dying in the pen. That is not what Jesus is after, is he? He seeks to draw us back to himself and with him to bring his renewing, sanctifying grace to make us holy, which is not just religious, but whole in him, like him. To accomplish well, in us, what we are powerless to do on our own, the renovation of our hearts. So friends, this is what we're gonna spend the next season exploring together, how Jesus is seeking to make all things new in us. 
If you've been around Lambrick for any length of time, you'll know that our primary practice in teaching and preaching on Sunday mornings is to work through a biblical text, often a book of the Bible, for a season or for a long while. Last year, we spent the better part of the year in 1 Peter, uh, the Abraham narrative, the Sermon on the Mount. We've lived in Exodus for way longer than anyone expected, Philippians, the Gospel of Mark, and more. But here and there, we need seasons where we lean into a core aspect of our life with God with particular focus and invite the whole of Scripture to speak to us. And this is, for me, I have felt for a while that that's what this year is about. Hence, we spent the fall in our Life with God for the World series, asking, exploring how the gospel seeks to renew us for the sake of the world. And it's not my favorite way of preaching. I'd much rather just go, okay, what's the next text? And turn to the next passage. It's way easier on the pastor and maybe on you. But I think we need it. And initially when I set out praying towards this and studying towards this, I envisioned it as a series primarily on seeking change, transformation, sanctification in some pressing part of each of our lives. Hence, my wife asked me this morning about a particular way of approaching the series, and I said, kind of, because that's where I started, thinking it would be that. And we are going to dig into that. Everything we talk about in this series, I think, will apply to each of us thinking about particular aspects of our lives that we know are deeply out of sync with Jesus that God wants to reclaim and renew and sanctify. But I need to say, the more I've dug into this, the more I've realized that this isn't just about your personal change project or mine, something we'll give ourselves to a season and then move past. But this is really about the journey of everyday life in Christ. This is not just an undergrad thing, and then we move on to other stuff. This is about everyday life in Christ, learning to live our lives in Christ, learning to live the whole of our lives in the one who says, behold, I am making all things new. And I can't promise to do it perfectly because I'm not Jesus. But I hope to lead us to him, point us to him, or invite you to come with me to him where I need Jesus too. So as we point towards this, I simply want to ask, where do you, does this connect with you? Is there a part of you that you know needs to be renewed, made new by Jesus? Maybe all of you. And if you feel that way today, good. Because nothing changes until we can name that, see it, feel it even, be broken by it even. But with that too, I want to invite you to the hope that Jesus' invitation is for you. Hear the grace again of Matthew 4.19, the beginning of the New Testament. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, it's not just about men, so some translations say, I'll send you out to fish for people, but that loses the fact that in the midst of this, Jesus says, I will make. Jesus will do something in you as you follow him. 
Take this to heart. Jesus, the one who sits on the throne and says, behold, I am making all things new. In all the grand cosmic, all of creationness of that is the same Jesus who says to you and to me, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Notice how this word make shows up. In both of these words of Jesus, the beginning of the New Testament, the end of the New Testament, I am making all things. I will make you. I love this. I love how Jesus in these... Both of these passages spread across the New Testament. Jesus uses the same Greek word, revealing to us that God's epic, eternal, cosmic renewing of all things is also deeply personal. A hope spoken to every one of us. Is this not good news? It's good news. It is. Amen. And not just for all of us, but for every part of all of us. And note, lastly, that in this invitation, Jesus does not ask us to transform ourselves. But he asks us to simply come and follow him. That we would stop ignoring our need for renewal, or seeking our renewal elsewhere, or just hoping it happens. But we would come and follow him in his way. That as we do, Jesus would make all things new. So let me close with this song. I'm going to do something risky and play it. I don't typically play guitar standing up. And I, these are the moments where I think, oh, I need to practice standing up more. <laughs> so the lyrics are going to be on the screen. I just want to invite you to make this your prayer. If you want to sing, you can. I've lowered the key a little bit. If my life is like a house, then Lord, you are in it. We sat around this kitchen table sharing stories and dinner. Unsettle all the small talk with your request to see more rooms and floors. I am fighting selective honesty and the earth to clean before I open those doors. So, Jesus, have your way here in this place. Open all the curtains, let in the day, sweep out the hallways, look underneath the rugs, start the renovation, let your kingdom come. As we climb up the stairway, I wonder if I'm More than hard to give away what you spent your life collecting. You reveal my treasures as trinkets when compared to the pearl of great price. And I am learning your ways of appraisal 
And how to house his eternal kind of life So Jesus have your way Here in this place Open all the curtains Let in the day Sweep out the hallways Look underneath the rugs Start the renovation Let your kingdom come So Jesus have your way Here in this place Open all the curtains Let in the day Sweep out the hallways Look underneath the rugs Start the renovation Let your kingdom come Jesus, we thank you for your invitation to us, how you know us and you see us and you love us, how you've gone to the cross to pay for our sin and to break the power of sin's bondage. And we know from reading your word that we will always be in this fight to the day your kingdom comes in its fullness, and yet it is not your intention or vision that we would live ruined by sin in all the seasons of our lives, but we would seek and follow and kneel and bow and depend and abide in you in a way in which we would find ourselves being renewed together in you by your grace. So Holy Spirit, today we just say yes, please. And we ask God that you would open our hearts to the ways in which we need you, to see our need for you, and to cry out to you with hope that you are not toying with us, that you are not just holding a carrot before us that you intend to throw off, but your invitation is real. Amen.